For several years now, Supergirl has served Superman faithfully as his secret emergency weapon, often saving him from various dooms. Now, at last, the Girl of Steel's gallant efforts to prove her worth are rewarded, for finally Superman lifts the veil of secrecy and makes known Supergirl's existence. This is the happiest day of my life. Superman has revealed my existence on Earth to the entire world. Welcome back to Supergirl Power Hour. I am Corey, and with me is my revealing co-host, James. Corey, you said we never speak of that. And we are back to our regular scheduled program of going chronologically through Supergirl's history. Uh, after our brief foray into her team-ups with Batgirl and Batman last episode, and if you remember right, we left you with a very large cliffhanger in our chronological happenings. Last time on The Supergirl. Uh, we left with Superman finally deciding that it is now time to reveal Supergirl's existence to the public, and then we had an issue break. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> but before we get into this story, the first issue that we're covering is Action Comics number 285, and this is one of the actual issues that I physically own a copy of, and one thing that always strikes me about this issue is on the inside front cover, one of the prime spaces for advertising in a comic book. DC Comics pulled out a full-page advertisement to apologize to their fans for raising the prices of their issues by two cents. So we are going to turn the uh, microphone over to Mort Weisinger as he apologizes to us. Dear boys and girls, I assume mainly boys, first, we would like to thank you for having bought this DC magazine, even though it cost you two cents more than usual. Obviously, you like our magazine and consider our stories worth the extra two pennies. That makes us feel mighty proud. However, we think we owe you an explanation as to why it was necessary to raise our price after successfully publishing comics for over 25 years at 10 cents. Over these past years, the cost of producing our magazines has steadily risen. We have to pay more for art, engraving, paper, printing. You, too, have to pay more for most of the things you buy. U.S. postcards, which used to cost only one cent, are now three. Sodas and telephone calls were a nickel. Now they are double that, ten cents. Hot dogs were also a nickel. Now they're at least a dime. Fifteen cents in most places. Everything costs more today than just a few years ago. Your parents have to pay more for food, clothing, rent. <sighs> the retailer who sold you this magazine has also been affected by the rising costs. And so has the company that delivered the magazine to him. All of us will share the additional two cents. Although, some of our competitors are now charging 15 cents for the same size comic magazine that we produce. We feel that 12 cents adequately covers our rising production costs, and is therefore a much better value for you. We feel confident that you understand the necessity for this slight adjustment, and will remain loyal fans. For our part, we promise to redouble our efforts to maintain the same high standards of publishing that produced the world-famous line of Superman DC Comics. Anyway, sincerely yours, the editors, oh, P.S., our giant annuals, will still only cost 25 cents. <laughs> anyway, we're done, yeah. <laughs> right. Did you get that, Julie? <laughs> On that note, uh, we opened the story right where we left off last, well, two episodes ago, actually. Uh... 
with Supergirl joyously taking in the news that Superman's finally going to let her be public. And he tells her that they will tell her parents at 9 p.m. And Kara goes home, and Fred and Edna decide they want to go see a movie in Metropolis. And while doing so, they drive over a rickety bridge, and it collapses, killing them all. But no, Kara flies out of the car and saves them, despite knowing that it would reveal her identity. And then she panics over the fact that Superman's probably going to punish her for this. Yeah, Superman is going to be so outraged that she saved a life without his expressed permission. So, her parents demand an explanation, and before she can get it out, Superman interrupts and tells her everything is fine, and tells her parents that she's Supergirl. And since there is no dumbbell out in the middle of the forest, (laughs) Supergirl lifts Superman up. And Superman, as we all know, has roughly the weight of a dying sun. So this is a very impressive feat indeed. Well, and it it really, this panel looks like Superman's doing the mannequin challenge. (laughs) Aha! Memes, Kara! I learned them in my future travels. And then we get a an origin recap of Supergirl, because that happens about once every three issues at this point. I'm amazed that Superman was able to resist stepping in halfway through. It's like, no, no, you're explaining it wrong. Back on Krypton. <laughs> um, so her parents are very proud of their daughter, as any parents would likely be at this revelation. And Superman tells them that they must not reveal her secret as she does what she does best and burrows through the ground to create a secret entrance in and out of her house. (laughs) And then we get a picture of sad Superman being very sad that his foster parents have passed away. And that's when we go to the Fortress of Solitude, where Superman uses his ill-gotten television cameras... (laughs) to announce to the world that Supergirl exists by hacking into all TV broadcasts the world over. And in a classic Superman dick move, his announcement of Supergirl's existence caused millions of Americans to miss the Oakland Raiders score two touchdowns against the New York Jets with one minute left on the clock, one of the most shocking sports upsets of the 1960s. And then we cut to a montage of people reacting to Supergirl, including a strong man who does have a giant dumbbell... And what appears to be post-crisis Lex Luthor. Uh, it's actually Soviet premier Nikita Khrushchev, James. One and the same, Corey. There's actually a letter in this very issue that notes the similarities between Khrushchev and Luthor. And <laughs> Mort Weisinger's response is, we don't go into politics in our stories. Meanwhile, John Byrne was reading that, and an idea formed. And then Superman runs a tape uh, explaining Supergirl's origin again and showing some of the feats that she has performed in the past three years. And we cut to Lex Luthor's jail cell where we find out Lex has learned about her identity as well. Via the grapevine, which I think Lex Luthor is way too white to be saying. (laughs) And then they go on a tour of the world, uh parading through various cities. Uh, We get a lovely, like, full-page splash of Superman and Supergirl flying around Metropolis, which just looks beautiful. Yeah, it's one of my favorite pages that exists in Silver Age comics. I think that's the only time we've ever seen a full-page splash in the middle of a story like this. Uh, I think it's the first time we've seen it with a Supergirl story, yes. And because we got uh, Soviet Premier Khrushchev earlier in the issue, we get U.S. President John F. Kennedy uh, later in the issue, where Supergirl gets to meet him and then gets a standing ovation from the United Nations, who also give her the powers to arrest people in any of their countries and the ability to visit their countries without using a passport. It's just a giant golden ticket that has international incident written on it. (laughs) and Superman hangs her golden ticket next to his golden ticket in the Fortress of Solitude, and they both are glowing. (laughs) Let's just filled with radiation to slowly kill the two human atomic bombs that are certainly giving the UN no shortage of sleepless nights. (laughs) Kandor uh, congratulates Supergirl with skywriting, 
And like really, Candor, all of your marvels, and that's the best you can come up with. You couldn't spell it out with tiny men. And then um, another planet celebrates it with their entire planet using their duplication powers to become Supergirl. <laughs> and can we talk for a second about the looks on Superman and Supergirl's face? Because it's the look you get when somebody says, I heard it was your birthday, so I made this portrait of you out of macaroni. Take it and love it forever. Um, yes, that's very nice. And then another planet has flame people dancing around a statue of her. And Kara notes that if one day the origin of the statue is forgotten, she will be considered a goddess. (laughs) Supergirl, goddess of the flame, dancers of Moringa. That is a future story I want to see. And then we see how Atlantis is celebrating, which is by making a statue of her as a mermaid. Posing like a playmate, creepily. Which she mentions is, well, that's like the time that I was transformed to a mermaid by Red Kryptonite, which, if you remember right, was last issue. That reminds me of that thing that just happened. Yay for continuity, I guess. And then Superman decides he needs to go off to the 50th century. Court, you think whenever Superman spends the night with a lady and wants to leave afterwards, he's like, I'd like to stay for breakfast, but I have to go to the 50th century. <laughs> Every goddamn time, Superman. <laughs> so Supergirl uh, changes back into Linda and goes on a date with Dick Malburn, who notices that she seems bored, which she is, because nothing exciting is happening. <laughs> and then we cut to the second part of the story where some scientists in the South Pacific open a rip in the sky. (laughs) And then the plot of From Beyond happens in its entirety. And two giant red legs come out of the rip, and that is all we can see of the monster, because he is too big for us to see anything else. Surely that's the reason we don't see the monster, and not that the artist didn't feel like drawing him today. So we cut back to President Kennedy for the second time in the issue who demands that the Pentagon contact Superman, but they can't because we get a continuity error where he's in another galaxy, not another time. Also, I should say, this marks the only time in his tragically short life that John F. Kennedy passed up handling an unearthly pair of legs himself. Wow, James. Well done. And we get a little bit of misogyny because they can't get Superman and one of the generals doesn't think a girl can handle it. Really, that should replace meanwhile for these stories. Just a bit of misogyny, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) And we cut back to Dick and Supergirl going on a date to the amusement park, which, again, is one of the only places that (laughs) exists in this world. And they head into the maze where Supergirl ditches her boyfriend and changes the layout of the maze so that he gets lost in it. The amount of times I have abandoned dates doing the same thing. (laughs) So you ever get that feeling where you just go to the bathroom and you're like, I think I'll just arrange some mirrors and get out of here. (laughs) So she goes to fight the giant legs, which just happen to be attacking Midvale Orphanage. No. And she tries to give him a hot foot, but fails. And she tries to attack the foot and fails. And the little boys start thinking she might not be all she's cracked up to be, as do everybody else on planet Earth, because misogyny is rampant. And we get two patrolmen watching in horror who say, Oh, how tragic that Superman himself isn't here at a time like this. Was he unwise to entrust Supergirl with the fate of the world? Earth is doomed. These are, like, by far the most poetic patrolmen I've ever seen. Truly, tis the folly of our ubiquitous Ubermensch to entrust the security of we, his fragile populace, to this clay-footed frau. So, Supergirl gets an idea, and goes to a scrapyard to make a missile to put a note in, and she chucks a missile through the time stream... <laughs> And it lands in the 30th century with the Legion of Superheroes. And Saturn Girl, immediately, I assume using feminine intuition, gets the impression that it's from Supergirl. Which the note would have told us anyway. 
In that case, Saturn girl, I, Cosmic Boy, will lower it gently with my magnetic powers. Shut the hell up, Cosmic Boy. We know who you are. Wait a second, James. Look at the picture. <gasps> That's not Cosmic Boy. <laughs> That's Lightning Lad, and he's shooting lightning bolts at it. Wait a second, Corey. Are you saying old comics were cheaply made? <laughs> I don't think they had their heart in this at all. <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice that until you said it, though. <laughs> so, Brainiac reads the note and mentions that he met her once and fell in love with her, so he'll send her what she needs immediately. And only for those reasons. Presently, a bazooka appears out of a time globe, and, well, it's actually the schematics for a bazooka, which Supergirl memorizes before the infinite monster steps on it and destroys it, and then she creates the bazooka, which is actually a Brainiac shrink ray, and she shrinks the infinite monster down to the size of an action figure. And he is very disappointing from the knees up. It's like <laughs> right? some kind of caveman bird. <laughs> With a loincloth and a lay. <laughs> and uh, she takes him to the fortress, puts him in a bottle right next to the bottle city of Kandor. Which he can stare at and be tormented by the dream of a better life. Just, oh, one day I'll terrorize that city. Right next door, I'll get out of this cage and into that one and it'll be dead. <laughs> and we cut back to the future where they finally pull a lead sheet off of her Supergirl statue that reveals that she was revealed on Earth in 1962. It's really dark when you think that, okay, the statue has year of Supergirl's arrival on Earth. Year Supergirl's existence was revealed on Earth. You think in the back it has Year Supergirl died? 1985. Oh. And you did nothing, bouncing boy. I just made myself sad, James. Welcome to my world. So, she goes to check out the rip in the sky, which is gone, and then gets a 21-gun salute from soldiers. They're trying to shoot you down, Supergirl. You're a menace. And then gets to meet the president and Jackie O again. And re just remarks on what a knockout Jackie O is. And then gets to meet all the children of the Midvale Orphanage who brought her a bouquet at the White House. And I admit, this did actually choke me up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this means more to me than all the other honors. Little do these kids realize I was once one of them at the orphanage, in my secret identity of Linda. And then we cut to Supergirl's makeshift trophy room at the Fortress of Solitude. Which, we should point out, he calls her to using, quote, his superventriloquistic summons. And then he uses his ill-gotten TV cameras once again to break into everybody's TV to tell them that if one of them is in the future or off on a journey to a distant galaxy or whatever, the other will stay behind. So they will always, one of them, be on Earth, which isn't always true, but okay. Don't worry. I'll always be watching you with my cameras. Then he builds an additional room onto the fortress, <laughs> which has a couch with throw pillows and then all three of her boyfriend's portraits hanging above it. I am so blown away by this. Not only did Superman personally decorate it to look like a swinging teenager's pad, he hung up tiger beat glamour photos of her three crushes. This is the creepiest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and at that, she returns home to Fred and Edna, and unlike most Supergirl stories that we've had up till this point, she sits on her bed with a smile on her face because her life has changed for the better for once. And so begins years of Supergirl teasing her foster parents with the hope that one day she'll announce to the world that she is their daughter. Oh, no, not until you've proven yourself. Uh, that story was from, like I said, Action Comics number 285. Uh, it was written by Jerry Siegel and drawn by Jim Mooney. And the title of the story was The World's Greatest Heroine. Uh, it's one of my favorite issues of all time. It has a very, very deep spot in my heart. And I'm glad that we were finally able to cover it for you guys. And I'm excited to continue on because at this point, we're going to start getting some great long stories in the Supergirl mythos. So 
But before that, we are going to take a quick detour into Adventure Comics with issue number 293, published in February of 1962, written by Siegel, drawn by Kurt Swan and George Klein, for the Legion of Super Traders. Dun, dun, dun. So... This is originally a Superboy and Legion of Superheroes story, so it opens at the Smallville General Store as Clark Kent helps his father stock the shelves with super speed and then snoops through his girlfriend's purse. Hijinks around the General Store, only slightly less depressing than hijinks around the orphanage. Are they really, James? So... Snooping through Lana's purse gives Lana the idea that he might be secretly Superboy, which, duh, Clark, (laughs) stop doing that. And he gets home, and his lamp starts blinking, which means either the President, the Pentagon, or Police Chief Parker wants to contact Superboy. Jesus, how does he have time for homework? Like, the thing that cracks me up is the President, the Pentagon, or the police chief of a small town in Kansas. Like, one of these is not like the other. Like, I just imagine him, like, rushing to the police station and Chief Wiggum is there. Superboy, Superboy, the ring came off my pudding can. So, it turns out that it is Chief Parker calling Superboy because a plane's about to crash outside of Smallville. So, Superboy goes to rescue the plane, but then decides, you know what, I'm sick of rescuing people, and decides to destroy the plane instead. And here, we have the moment Superboy finally becomes the Superman we all know and fear. So, Superboy destroys the plane, but Crypto saves it by making a crash landing site in a pile of hay. Or something. And then Superboy snaps out of it briefly, and Kryptos appears to forgive him for a moment, and then Superboy decides he doesn't want forgiveness, and spins Crypto around like a hammer throw. You'll never stare at me like that again! My telescopic vision sights a green kryptonite meteor storm far off in space. I'll super toss you to your death. <gasps> my, my master wants to kill me. I thought he loved me, but if this is how he really feels, I I don't want to live. <gasps> and in all fairness, this is exactly how I feel whenever my dog pees in front of my bedroom door. So, as abruptly as it started, the rage ends, and Superboy hugs Crypto. And Crypto is happy that his master doesn't hate him anymore. And Superboy goes home and tells the Kents what happened, and then goes to bed. The <laughs> And the signal lamp goes off again the next day, this time summoning him to the future with the Legion of Superheroes. They show him their Phantom Zone viewer, and he tells them all about the different Phantom Zone criminals and his Phantom Zone friend, von L who is from the planet Dexum. And it's just waving at Superboy from the Phantom Zone behind General Zod, which I find hilarious. Like, uh, what's up, bro? Which, I'm not gonna lie, I desperately await for the time when we send mon to the Phantom Zone in the Supergirl TV show, because I really don't like that guy. <laughs> but he's so pretty. mon warns Superboy that the Phantom Zone viewer is actually a Phantom Zone um, release ray, So Superboy destroys it, and the Legionnaires are upset and decide to instead use their kryptonite ray rings to kill Superboy instead of unleashing Kryptonian supervillains on him. As Superboy tumbles to the ground, stricken. Why are you doing this? You're but friends. That's what you think. We've always secretly hated you because you're more powerful than us. But that won't be true. When you're dead! So... Superboy whistles to activate his Superboy robots, who go through the time barrier and then get destroyed by Cosmic Lad, or Cosmic Boy. Wow. Wow, Corey. Yeah. Uh, This podcast is over. (laughs) Also, I just want to say, I love that at this point, Superboy comics were so complicated that you had to account for Superboy's Legion of Superboy robots in any story. It's like dealing with cell phones in a modern slasher movie. It's like, wow, my Superboy robots aren't getting a signal in this cabin. So, uh, we find out that the reason the Legion of Superheroes is attacking Superboy is they're being controlled by giant floating space brains. (laughs) 
And Superman's only hope is to travel to the future and recruit Philip J. Fry to save the Earth yet again. And the giant space brains have telepathically controlled the Legion because they want to move the planet Earth to replace their planet that just blew up. And specifically, the Legion points out that it was the influence of the brains that made them falsely state that they were jealous of Superboy. So it was integral to their plans that Superboy think his friends were jerks for roughly 30 seconds. Just long enough to justify a splash page of them betraying him. <laughs> and that's when Crypto shows up, and we find out that the space brains can't affect animals, and... He goes to attack them, and they tell him that if he attacks one of them, the other three will destroy the Earth. <gasps> They've outwitted me! And that gives the Legionnaires an idea that if the Globes can't dominate the minds of super animals, they'll just go recruit more super animals. So they head back to the Midvale Orphanage and recruit Streaky the Supercat. I think she's a friend! I'll obey gladly! And then the Legion journeys to Phobos, the moon of Mars, to recruit Super Monkey. And then we get my favorite line of any issue we cover today. I mentally command you to enter the ship, Super Monkey. And then we cut to a little bit further into Supergirl's future, where we, for the first time, meet Comet the Super Horse, as they recruit Super Horse to the Legion of Super Pets. And then point out that they're previewing a story from far in the future of Supergirl. By, like, five issues. I just like the idea that they were like, okay, everything else we'll just throw out the reader. Super Horse, we have to seed like he's Mr. Sinister. So, the four Super Pets are in the future, and Saturn Girl rides Comet into battle. Charge! And not to be outdone, <laughs> Lightning Lad <laughs> decides, well... If she's going to ride a pet, I'm going to ride a pet. So he climbs on Crypto's back and rides Crypto into battle. This is humiliating for both of us. <laughs> Go get him, Crypto. So Crypto spins one of the brains around like it's a hamster ball. And then the brain literally goes, yo, 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 stop it. And that gives Super Monkey the idea to copy him, so another brain gets done the same way. Well, Streaky fries one with heat vision, and Comet smacks one in the head with his own head. And then they forever leave planet Earth for no particular reason. And that's when the Legion of Superheroes saves Superboy, and then tells the Legion of Super Pets that they will be an animal branch of their super club. And we get a terrifying panel of Streaky just nibbling at Superboy's fingers with the thought balloon, I like Superboy! Exclamation <laughs> point. It just looks like he's trying to eat him a little bit at a time to absorb his power. Yum, 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 yum. And uh, Superboy wakes up and... Saturn Girl can't tell them how they defeated the Brain Globes because he can't know about Comet. <laughs> the key to everything. And then they go to the past, and Superboy realizes that the Brain Globes are what made the Legion traitors and what made him go super crazy. And that's the end of the story, of which we got Supergirl for a single panel. It was worth it. Uh, the Super Pets are always a blast. So, that brings us to Action Comics number 286 from March of 62, written by Siegel, drawn by Mooney. The story's title is The Death of Luthor. And this is my favorite story of all of these. This is delightful. <laughs> because Silver Age Lex Luthor is the greatest supervillain of all time. <laughs> right? So, uh, we open at the Danvers house, where Dick is having dinner with the Danvers. And they're watching a news broadcast, and Dick starts gushing over Supergirl and lamenting that Linda is not quite as good as Supergirl because she doesn't have superpowers. What a dick. <laughs> and, you don't have superpowers either. And Supergirl saves the meal by preventing the soup from boiling. And that's when we cut to the next morning. Lex Luthor is breaking out of jail by using 
orange juice, and mouthwash, and aspirin tablets to create an invisibility potion. What I love is reading this, I made the joke to myself that he was going to upset his stomach so badly it would give him acid vomit, and his actual plan is stupider than that. <laughs> like, he is so happy as he turns invisible, just shaking his fists in the air. Yes! Luthor is invisible yet again! Yeah, like, so the cocktail of orange juice, aspirin, and mouthwash mixed with radio vibrations and sirens made him invisible. My molecular structure has been altered so I can't be seen! Look at those stupid guards! Imbeciles! They're mental pygmies compared to Luthor! Jesus Christ, that's racist, Luthor. (laughs) You really are the greatest criminal mastermind the world has ever known. So he invisibly goes to find his old gang and reveals himself to have broken out of jail. And his gang warns him about Supergirl. And he's like, I don't believe there really is one because it's obviously one of Superman's robots. Again, I love that that is always a factor that people in this universe have to contend with. What if it's a Superman robot? So the next day, Supergirl goes out on patrol, and for a moment she forgets that she has gone public, so she tries to hide from a police officer before waving at him and making him jealous of flying. Sadly, Supergirl is still struggling with her severe Superman PTSD. Right? So she gets lured to Luther's trap, where he blasts at her with a, a giant missile, and that convinces him that she's not a robot. So what? With my great knowledge of psychology, I'll destroy her by playing on her feminine traits. He then picks up a copy of the game to learn all the secrets of a master pickup artist. So we have now determined that in this story, Silver Age Luthor is both racist and misogynist. So two for two on the villain scale, Lexi. Now all he has to do is administer sinister pranks and he's on par with Superman. Ooh, speaking of pranks... His next dastardly scheme is to shrink a bank and steal the entire bank. Using a copy of Space Villain Praniac's Reducto Ray. (laughs) Which, this is the second time we've seen a copy of this ray in two issues. Come on now. (laughs) And there's something magical about seeing Lex Luthor and his gangster goons just in suits and ties with goggles shooting a bank with a little ray gun and laughing as it reduces in size. And laughing as the guards shoot them with tiny little bullets that don't actually hurt them anymore. Ah, ah, ah. In comparison to them, we're giants. They're reduced in size by its compressed atoms. The bank building's as heavy as ever. I'll lift it with these anti-gravity tongs. And that's when we find out the reason for the stupid goggles that they're wearing. (laughs) As Supergirl shows up and one of the other gangsters throws a darkness bomb. And the goggles allow Luthor and his cronies to see. Still, with her x-ray vision, Supergirl can see through the smoke and find Luthor. But just then... A runaway baby buggy! Well, Supergirl, are you going to rescue that poor woman's child or not? You know I won't stand idly by. And uh she goes to rescue the baby. <laughs> and she turns out to be Lex Luthor's midget henchman, who has... Surprise, baby kryptonite! Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! I'm a midget, you fool! Here's a hunk of green kryptonite! A reward for my boss, Luthor, for saving me. And then we get the greatest panel in comic book history. <laughs> Lex Luthor and his goons celebrating their victory in their getaway car. Next to Luthor, the mother taking off her wig to reveal another Lex Luthor goon. And the baby smoking a cigar with his little mustache. Thug <laughs> life. Also, I did not realize this until looking at it later. The best part is, in the other panel where he throws the kryptonite, the uh, little person slash baby is wearing 
A teeny tiny bandit mask! <laughs> I think those are the goggles, James, so that he can see in the dark. I prefer bandit mask. Okay. I like the idea that he felt that that was necessary. <laughs> I also love that he was committed enough to the character that even though he didn't shave his mustache, he still wore a diaper. <laughs> Like, his mustache was a step too far, but damn it, I'll wear a diaper for the integrity of the role. (laughs) I want to hang out with the Luthor gang so much. They look like they have so much fun with their crime and their science. So, we cut back to Supergirl dying of kryptonite poisoning. Yet again. She's right next to the fire hydrant, which she unscrews and sweeps the kryptonite into the sewer where it will only affect Cosmo the super rat. (laughs) Only. We cut back to the outskirts of Metropolis where the tiny bank grows back to full size and they steal all the money out of it. So, Luthor and his cronies are getting away and getting chased by the highway patrol. But that doesn't worry him. Supergirl worries him. And Luthor shows the dangers of distracted driving as he tries to shoot Supergirl while driving and careens off the road and shooting himself, killing himself with nuclear radiation. And let Lex Luthor's death be a warning to all of you criminals out there. Do not super science while driving. Hashtag it can wait. But Supergirl is not okay with Luthor dying because he has to live out his life sentence, damn it. And what I love is a cop tries to explain to her that Lex Luthor deserves to die because of that time he drove everyone out of Metropolis using giant sun spears while his mob put on insulated suits and robbed Metropolis, which I maintain is really the argument for why Luthor should live. It's like, no, that arch of that level deserves to survive. So she gets an idea where she knows of an isotope that's near near Atlantis, so she goes to grab it, while at the same time unearthing a shrine of an Atlantean hero, and then goes off to another planet to get the other portion of her, uh, her bring Luthor back from the dead machine. And then gets attacked by alien robots and destroys them and flies back to Earth, wraps Luthor in tiny plastic fibers, which bring him back to life. Meanwhile, Superman is watching all of this and saying, Jesus, Kara, I just scream really loud and then reverse the rotation of the Earth when I want to bring somebody back to life. (laughs) I'm sorry, you haven't learned to play God properly. Back to the orphanage. (laughs) So... Luthor wakes up and then gets angry that he's not dead because (laughs) it was a female brat that saved his life. And he steals the machine gun from the police officer, which, god damn it, police officer, you had one job. (laughs) Do not let Luthor grab your death machine. And he shoots the Tommy gun at Kara and all the bullets bounce off because of of course they do. And Luther's worried about being a laughingstock in prison. I mean, after trying to shoot a super person, yeah, I bet so. Oh, no, you did that one thing you always do. <laughs> and Luthor goes back to prison sobbing that he loathes Supergirl even more than Superman. <laughs> and then we cut to a hastily called meeting of gangland big shots. Who are terrified that Supergirl managed to defeat Luthor and his hilarious good time super science. And then we cut back to the Danvers home where they are telling her how proud they are of their daughter. But seriously, you should have let Luthor die. That brings us to Superman number 152 from April of 1962 by Siegel, Swan, and Klein. And it is titled The Robot Master. And we open at the Daily Planet building. And James, do you want to cover this? <laughs> Panel one. One morning, as mild mannered Clark Kent reports to work at the Daily Planet in Metropolis. Hmm. Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, and Perry White are back from that out-of-town newspaper convention earlier than I expected. Suddenly? Oh, oh, I accidentally stumped my toe. 
I'll make believe it hurt me, or Lois may get suspicious that I am secretly Superman. Ouch! I twisted my ankle! And this panel summarizes the entire Silver Age of DC Comics perfectly. <laughs> like, if you wanted to explain to aliens what Silver Age Superman was, you would just show them that one panel. <laughs> so Lois yells at him to be quiet, and Clark mentions that it's not like her to be unsympathetic like that. And she tells him that she is not fooled by his act, because maybe, you know, maybe, just maybe, he was putting it on a little bit too strong with pretending to twist his ankle when he stubbed his toe. Oh no, I've sneezed. I'm dead now. And she reveals that she has typed up a story about how Clark Kent is Superman, and Jimmy Olsen also knows, and Clark tries to talk them out of giving it to Perry and fails, so then just admits to being Superman and lights the paper on fire with his heat vision. Little does he know that Lois wrote out a second version, which she immediately gives to Perry. Superman, defeated by a single trip to the copy machine. And... She gives it to Perry, he tells her that they will print it immediately, and he tries to convince them that they shouldn't do this, and then realizes that there's something peculiar about it, and uses his x-ray vision to, to discover that they are all robots. And at that moment, in walks a Clark Kent robot, and they all tell him that they are controlled by the robot master, and then they all collapse... And Superman decides to take them to the Fortress of Solitude, but decides he needs Supergirl's help getting to the bottom of the mystery. So they head to the Fortress and start examining the robots, and they all wake up. And immediately begin taking an unguided tour of the Fortress, which begins in Superman's Lois Lane stalking chamber, which contains many portraits of Lois Lane, a bust... And a lock of Lois's hair. It's also filled with rare flowers, which makes the Lois robot think that Superman is secretly in love with the girl that she's impersonating. Which, duh, Lois. <laughs> but Jimmy, Jimmy's robot is like, well, maybe it's only friendship, not love. Maybe it's just a gal being a pal. Well, uh, he's got a point. I know you and I send each other locks of our own hair through the mail on several occasions. This is true. So then they go to the Jimmy Olsen room. Superman's second greatest love. Which the Jimmy robot is very proud of the man that he is impersonating. And then they go to the Perry White room, which the Perry robot is proud of the man he's impersonating. I, I'm obsessed with the fact that Superman has a room for Perry White. Like, Clark Kent just comes across like that sad guy at work that nobody ever really talks to. But he thinks that he's best friends with everybody. And here's the room dedicated to the boy who bags my groceries down at the Safeway. One day I'll tell him how I feel. And then they go to the Clark Kent room, where the Clark robot is like, well, it's very clever that he uses this room as a decoy. Except it's not, because he also has a Ma and Pa Kent room. And I'm sure a statue of himself that says, Superman, parentheses, Clark Kent. So then the three robots that aren't Clark start arguing about which one of them is most important to Superman. And then they fight and destroy each other, leaving only the Clark Kent robot. And this is the point where I began suspecting that the puppet master was just Superman. So yes, yes, fight over how much you love me. And unsettled deeply by this sudden robot carnage, Superman and Supergirl take a nap. And the Clark Kent robot pretends to charge his batteries, only to wake up and build his Trojan horse out of the remnants of his friends. <laughs> and he then allows the robot master to enter the Fortress of Solitude, which triggers alarm bells, and the Clark robot introduces the robot master, which is... Dun, da, 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 the entire Legion of Superheroes. And they explain that the reason they did this was to celebrate the anniversary of Supergirl's arrival on Earth. Okay. Which is funny because her first appearance was in it, the May issue of Action Comics, and this is the April issue of Superman. So the only 
parallel I can draw is that Supergirl's first appearance was in Action Comics number 252, and this is Superman number 152? Listen, the Legion Trine travels a lot. Uh, they may have been off by a year or a month. two. <laughs> so, well, look, it's good that they found the 20th century. I mean, the last time the Legion tried to visit Superman, they ended up unleashing the Black Plague. So it turns out that the Trojan horse that the Clark Kent robot built was just statues of the entire Legion. That's okay, Superman. We only psychologically tortured you to give you these statues of us. Ha ha, we can prank just as good as you can. Ha 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 ha. And then he killed them. Uh, so then uh, they fly back to the future, and that leads us to our next story, our last story of the night which is from Action Comics number 287, April of 1962, by Siegel and Mooney, and it is Supergirl's Greatest Challenge. And in this issue, we open with Linda getting invited to a fan club, but the girl that invited her won't tell her who it's a fan club for until they get there, and she finds out that it is a fan club for her own cousin, Superman. And thankfully, before they begin talking about how dreamy they all think Superman is, which I'm sure would be very awkward for Kara, who ends up being the guest of honor but Lois Lane, Superman's greatest enemy. <laughs> and Linda is not happy about Lois showing up. <laughs> Superman's told me she's awful. She has a thought bubble where she says, well, I'll pretend to be just as thrilled as the others. <laughs> wow, yes. is it cool under that shade, Kara? Yes, yes, it is. So Lois tells stories of how she's been saved by Superman and how she's even had the thrill of adventuring with his new partner, Supergirl, which she hasn't yet, because <laughs> Supergirl's only been public for two issues and hasn't met Lois yet. They Facebook a lot. At that point, Lois points out that Supergirl looks remarkably like Linda Danvers, except she's got blonde hair, not brown hair. Oh, no. Everyone has to die now. And later, Linda returns home to find out that there are some forest rangers about to blow up a tree stump right next to her secret entrance, and that might reveal the tunnels, so she has to find a way to stop them. So she pretends that lightning strikes the tree stump by vaporizing it with her heat vision and clapping her hands really loud to simulate thunder. And she wonders why she's so frequently mistaken for a malevolent god. <laughs> so they're like, well, we don't have to actually do our job now, so we're going to go have a beer. <laughs> and as she gets home, she hears a an alarm ringing from her bedroom to find out that she is being summoned to the 30th century to hang out with the Legion of Superheroes. Because we've seen an awful lot of them in the last three stories. <laughs> I like how she has Legion of Superheroes bookends that begin glowing. And I I'm sorry, if DC has never made these. They are missing out on a serious collector's right? market, because I would buy those in a heartbeat. So she flies through Booster Gold Time Litter. Uh, and narrowly avoiding 1980 and 2000, two of the worst years. Yeah, it's kind of scary that she didn't pass by 2016, too. Even Supergirl would not venture that far. Yeah, so uh, she finds out the Legion is doing a science expo. Science in quotations, because to the Legion, science is just doing their powers while being recorded. Look, lightning, bounce, cosmic. Sun boy. And they tell her that the solar system is threatened by a peril that only she can overcome because she has lots of superpowers instead of their one. Which they show her in the mind pictures chair, which is what I'm calling my desk chair from now on. So uh, what it is is a positive man, a destructive force which was once human. So that's what happened to Tony Robbins. He was created when an alien scientist blew up his planet while creating a doomsday bomb. It transformed him into a terrible menace, envious of all life, destroying inhabited worlds throughout the galaxy. And as he sees her, he veers off course just to wipe out a populated planet before starting his way back to Earth. Jeez. You think the weight of that planet weighed on Supergirl's soul for the rest of her days? I would imagine so. And she finds out she can't stop him because 
he's intangible, but he can't hurt her because of her invulnerability. And the rest of the Legion is worried because it looks like she can't stop it. But then she gets an idea because she remembers seeing that when the explosion created him, it also affected a wild animal and created a negative creature. So she goes and finds the negative creature, summons him to the positive man, and the two of them are drawn together like the poles of a magnet, and they blow up. And then the universe is destroyed. Thanks, Supergirl. So they return to Earth, and it turns out that the fallout from the explosion has robbed the rest of the Legionnaires of their superpowers. Yes, Bouncing Boy cannot bounce. But he is still as big as a bouncy ball. Lightning Lad cannot shoot lightning, and when Saturn Girl mentally commands a toad to jump, he refuses. I love the quick de-escalation of that. <laughs> no, my toad domination skills are useless. So, Supergirl tells the rest of the Legion that until they can find a way to bring their powers back, she will patrol for them and make it look like they still have their powers. And as she is patrolling in the 30th century, she sees a familiar face. And that familiar face is Streaky, the super cat. Or is it? Well, she certainly thinks so. But as she calls out to him as Streaky, he responds, Streaky, my name is Wizzy. Oh my god, you can talk. Die. <laughs> so, Wizzy is wearing a collar. That has written on it, Wizzy, descendant of famed supercat Streaky. Which makes that collar gigantic, which must be very uncomfortable. <laughs> right? And the collar is attached to a red cape with a W on it. I, I'm just disturbed by the idea that at some point in our timeline, Streaky got busy. <laughs> uh, that was Alex's fear, too. <laughs> He wants to kill the entire Supercat family tree with fire. Oh, the thing Streaky did with that ball of yarn. So, the first thing that Supergirl does to make it look like the Legionnaires still have powers is foil a robot robbery by making it look like Cosmic Boy still has his magnetism by using her super breath to create a vacuum drawing the robots together and smashing them. She then prevents a space bandit from robbing tree men of their chlorophyll spray. <laughs> We're not making this up, folks. Uh, there's a scientist going, No, do not rob these tree men of their chlorophyll spray. <laughs> and she pretends that Sunboy still has his powers by using her heat vision to make it seem like he's getting hotter and using luminous powder that makes him glow. And that's when we cut to the superhero clubhouse, where we find out that the Legionnaires have not, in fact, lost their powers. They have all been replaced by shape-shifting aliens. And the alien then explains how they traveled to Earth in a ship identical to the Legionnaires. And while Supergirl is busy fighting the Positive Man, they knocked the Legionnaires out with paralysis gas and then hid their ship on an asteroid. They have a way to eliminate Supergirl, and that is the Phantom Zone Ray, which apparently got repaired since three issues ago. <laughs> since it saw Superboy's rage. And at the next meeting of the Legion, they trigger the Ray, and they trap Wizzy and Supergirl in the Phantom Zone. Yikes! Darn unfriendly of them. So, the Phantom Zone is now empty, which makes me wonder, in the last three months, where all the Phantom Zone criminals went. Well, according to Supergirl, they were all released one by one as their sentences were completed. So somewhere in this timeline, Zod and Jack Sir are just couch surfing somewhere. And apparently this happened in the last three months. So she finds out what has happened and realizes that, well, she can't do anything. Wizzy still has his super telepathy because... If there's anything that makes Streaky more terrifying, it's the fact that his ancestors will have telepathy. They'll know everything you dream of. So Wizzy goes and talks to the robot maker at the android factory and tells him to create a robot that looks like one of the aliens. And it strolls into the clubhouse. It really strolls. I mean, this chameleon is just pimp walking. <laughs> and... He's like, I've come to release Supergirl and Wizzy from the Phantom Zone by pressing the white button on the Phantom Zone ray machine. Click. Thanks, Android. So, 
Supergirl returns and goes to take the chameleon people to jail. That's what you think. We'll escape by transforming ourselves into objects, such as trees or rocks. At which point she flies off at super speed to the miniature Mars city and steals the impenetrable dome and throws it on top of all the chameleon men so that no matter what they turn into, they will be stuck there. I just wish we had a panel of one of the chameleon men trying to get away and, like, a cop tackling him and putting handcuffs on him as he feebly tries to turn into a tree. At that point, the rest of the Legion gets woken up and... Supergirl returns to her time and says goodbye to Wizzy, flies back through the horrible years of 2000, 1980, and, oddly enough, 1968. Some bad shit went down in 1968, Corey. And she returns to Streaky, who is just randomly wearing his cape in the middle of the house. God damn it, Streaky, that's why we can't have nice things. And she tells him that she wishes that he had Wizzy's telepathic powers, at which point, Streaky thinks, Wizzy, who's that? Are you cheating on me, Supergirl? Because I'll kill you. And then Wizzy was promptly forgotten about forever. Yeah, yeah, he really was. So that is the end of our stories for this month. I'm glad that we have finally hit the point where we're no longer making fun of her for being Superman's secret weapon and living a life of tragedy and depression. Yep, it's smooth sailing from here on out for Supergirl. Until 1985. I just made myself sad again. You know what's not sad? Fan mail. That's right. We do have some super female for you today. Dear Editor, if a man is stronger than a woman, then how come Supergirl is as strong as Superman? Answer with a wisecrack, please. James Glenn, Jamaica, New York. <sighs> the explanation is simple. Supergirl is as strong as Superman because she thrives on cereals. Cereals. Get it? With an S! Answer with a wise crap. <laughs> uh, I'm so glad we got multiple Mort Weisingers this episode. I'm not. This voice is hell of my vocal cords. You're talking like this for weeks. I asked you if you had it in you, and you said you always have Mort in you. Always. He occupies a dark place in my heart. Anyway, that is the end of another rousing episode of Supergirl Power Hour. I've been Corey. I've been James. And, as always, you can find us at SupergirlPowerHour.com, or on Twitter at SGirlPowerHour, or on Facebook at SupergirlPowerHour. Uh, we still haven't received any entries into our competition, which does have a prize involved. So, we are going to extend that until we start receiving a few entries. At this point, the contest, again, was to redesign Linda Danvers with a modern hairstyle. So, whatever you want to do, I'd prefer you give her a nice little undercut. Because I think that'd be a rockin' style choice for her. I say full mohawk. You can also find me on Twitter at CoreyMarie21. I also write recaps for SupergirlTVTalk.com. And where can they find you, James? As always, you can find me on Twitter at MondoFunky and at Graphic Novelism. And if you like the sweet, sexy tones of my voice, you can catch me talking about comic books every month on Graphic Novelism, talking about movies every month on Box Office Pulp, or talking about the horrible, horrible hell planet of the South on Below the Bible Belt. And you can check out all of those shows and several more on pulppodcastnetwork.wordpress.com. And let's be honest, who doesn't like the sexy tones of your voice, James? <sighs> Join us again next month as we continue our trek through the Silver Age, inching closer and closer to the Bronze Age, and with it, the evolution of the drinking game that will be every time Supergirl changes costumes. Until next time, stay mighty, my friends. God help us all. Superman, no! This has been a Pulp Podcast production. May I ask what you hope to achieve with this podcast? Those directors created these movies. They filled them with subtext, motifs, messages. They deserve to be discussed. The answer is irrelevant. 
Movies are simply entertainment, nothing more. Does it matter what they mean? Yes. Yes, it does. I don't understand. Well, Cody, I guess that's because I'm a human being. And you're a robot. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's quite alright. Box office pulp. Big things have small beginnings. Hands up!